Well, the scripture reading for this morning is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. Please stand for the reading of God's word. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers." But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, were only, they only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's turn to him in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, we're thankful for all that has taken place and all that will yet take place in our time together. And we're thankful especially for this portion of your word. Thank you for preserving Galatians for us, this letter that we so desperately need. Thank you for this passage and how Paul points us to your work in his life, that we might be prepared to speak of your work in each of our lives. Illumine our minds, we pray, O God. Help us to understand. Give us eyes to see and hearts to believe the great and glorious truths that are contained in your word. Accomplish this by the power of your spirit for your glory and for our good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love worship services like this. I love it. I love it. All the elements are present, singing and reading and, and preaching and sacraments and membership. In a little while, we're going to hear from uh, one of our missionaries, Jody Collins, as we, as we wrap up our time together. It's like a feast. It's like a feast. And then the feast continues. After the service is over, we'll have a time of fellowship and then a time of discipleship after that. Um, I... I'm going to leave here full. I hope you do as well. And I want to make sure I don't shortchange, you know, cut short that time of fellowship and uh, discipleship that we'll have after the service is over. So in the little bit of time that uh, we're going to have to look at this passage, we're really going to key in on uh, those three verses, thir- four verses, 13, 14, 15, and 16 in the middle of this passage. Um, but, but as we turn there, let me, let me remind us where we've been to this point. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Galatians, to a number of churches that he had planted in the Roman province of Galatia, southern portion of the Roman province of Galatia. Paul had planted those churches. They were largely made up of new converts. Christianity's all new, right? 
The gospel's going forth. It's, it's very soon after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Paul is on a missionary journey. He's preaching the gospel. These predominantly Gentiles in this region believed the good news. This message that Paul was preaching, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, that, that he lived the perfect life that none of us could live, perfect obedience to God, and then died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin, the wrath that we deserve from God. And then he was raised from the dead so that all who put their hope in him for their salvation would be saved. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. That was the message that Paul proclaimed, and they believed it. All these churches planted, we don't know how many, but a, but a number of churches planted throughout the southern region of Galatia. So that, that happens, Paul leaves, and then some false teachers show up on the scene. And they begin to teach that faith in Jesus Christ is good, but it's not enough. It's not, as Paul was teaching, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It was, in fact, Jesus plus obedience to God's law, as demonstrated by, for instance, the men being circumcised and certain dietary laws being observed and, and days being recognized as kind of a, a way of saying in totality, obedience to God's law. It's faith in Christ plus your works that leads to your salvation. This was the message of the false teachers. And they were also saying, you know what, guys? You really can't trust Paul. You really, you know, you really can't trust him. He didn't come from us. We didn't send him. We're the ones who are here with authority. We didn't send him. So that should be reason enough to reject him. But on top of that, he's not even teaching what we're teaching. We don't know where he got this gospel of his. I know he told you that it was revealed to him, but eh, come on. He's not preaching the traditions of man. He's, he's not preaching whatever, you know, those Jerusalem apostles are, 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 are preaching. So where's it coming from? You really can't trust him. Maybe he just made it all up. Paul, when he heard about what was happening, was livid with those false teachers. As we read through Galatians, we'll get a sense of how livid he was with them. But he was also deeply burdened and concerned for these baby Christians in Galatia, throughout the region, those churches, those people that he had loved and to whom he had preached the gospel. He was burdened for them. And so he wrote Galatians. Now remember what he said in verse 1 a couple weeks ago. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So in verse 1, what he was saying there right off the bat was, nobody sent me. God sent me. And then in verse 11, verse that we read this morning, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. So what he's saying right off the bat is, Nobody sent me, God sent me, and nobody gave me this message, God gave me this message. It was revealed to me. Now, in the time that we have left this morning, I want to pay attention, I want us to pay attention to where Paul goes next. 
Because where Paul goes next is very instructive for each and every one of us. How does Paul legitimize his message? I mean, he's been saying that this message is from God. It's it's not from man. It was revealed to me. How does Paul legitimize his message? What proof does he offer of the truth of his claims? Does he argue his case? Does he dismantle all claims to the contrary? No. He tells his story. He tells his story. He tells them about his life before conversion. He tells them what happened at his conversion. And then he tells them about his life since his conversion. Now, what should we take away from that? Here's my premise. Your greatest testimony to the legitimacy of the gospel is not your logic, it's your life. Your greatest testimony to the legitimacy of the gospel is not your logic, it's your life. Now, I am not saying there is no place for apologetics, that there's no place for a logical, coherent defense of the Christian faith. You know me. You know how much I believe in, love apologetics. So I'm not saying there's no place for apologetics, but if we're we're paying attention to what Paul is saying in this passage, then what we learn is that your greatest testimony, my greatest testimony to the legitimacy of the gospel is not ultimately our ability to defend it. It's the quality of life that we live. So your life matters. Your story is your testimony to the truth of the gospel. So, you know, let's, let's ask this question next. What kind of story best legitimizes the gospel. Is it stories like Paul's? Paul was persecuting the church. He hated Christians. He wanted to see the church destroyed. Or testimonies like those who, you know, you think of the the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son in, in Luke chapter 15, who had lived a reckless life. Is it that kind of a story? Or is it a story like we pray Asher's story will be throughout his life, that he was raised in the church and by God's grace came to love Jesus at a very little age, very young age. It's not an either or. It's a both and. It's a both and provided two key elements are in place. And both of those elements are present in Paul's story. What kind of story best legitimizes the gospel? A story that involves a change of subject, a story that involves a change of subject, and a story that involves a shift in purpose. Change of subject, and a shift in purpose. So let's take a look. First, a change of subject. Look at verse 13 and verse 14. Verse 13, Paul writes, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Who's the subject of those verses? 
Paul. It's all I, me, and my. Paul is the subject of verses 13 and 14. Let's look at verse 15 and the first part of verse 16. But when he, that is God, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Who's the subject of verse 15 and the first part of verse 16? It's God. God becomes the subject of Paul's life. It goes from everything that Paul was doing to now everything that God had done for him. Notice what he says about God's work in him. Verse 15. He set me apart before I was born. Friends, what a comfort that is. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, your life in Christ is not a matter of you holding on to him. It is the reality that he is holding on to you. He has you in the grip of his grace. Before you were born, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world, he chose you in his son, knowing that you would need redemption to be holy and blameless in his sight. Set apart by God's grace. And then look again at verse 15. He who called me by his grace. It's just another way of, of, of restating what I said, you know, about our, our children or any one of us coming to faith. You know, the firewood could be stacked in the fireplace. God must light the match. God must cause the flame. God is the one who cause, causes a person to be born again. God is the one who raises someone from the dead spiritually so that they might have faith, that they might have faith to believe that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. God does that. This call is, uh, you know, the, the reformed lingo for it, is effectual. It's effective. God's grace can't be resisted. When, when he comes after someone, he will have that person for himself. That is good news. It's the best possible news. If you put your trust in Jesus for your salvation, it is not because you have achieved the culmination of a lifelong search to determine the meaning of the universe and you determined that God is at the core and Jesus is his son. That's, who's the subject of that quest? You are. What scripture tells us time and again is that if you come to putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you are, well, it's like my plaque right here says, preach the bones, pray for the wind. It's that you were dead spiritually and God breathed in your heart to bring new life. God is the subject of your story. Is he? Is God the subject of your story? When does that change take place? Look back again with me at the passage. Verse 15. He set me apart before I was born. He called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, if you take the verse, first part of verse 15, but when he, and you jump right down to verse 16, 
was pleased to reveal his son to me. So up until that point, you know, end of verse 15, he's been saying, he set me apart before I was born. He called me by his grace. But verse 15 and verse 16, but when he was pleased to reveal his son to me. The the Greek word for to there is actually the word in. When he was pleased to reveal his son in me. That's when the change of subject takes place. When you see your need for a Savior and the truth of who Jesus Christ is becomes real to you. It's not just an intellectual concept. There are plenty of pagans who have written commentaries on the Bible. They've studied the text and been able to explain what the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek says and have no faith It is not about ability to intellectually comprehend. It is about this inner life that God gives when he is pleased to reveal his son in us. Every Christian has had that change of subject in their life. Every Christian must be able to say, but God was pleased to reveal his son to me. For Paul, that was on his road to Damascus when he was on his way to to, to chase down these Christians who were fleeing Jerusalem. It was on the road to Damascus that he had a literal revelation of the Son of God. He was commissioned by Jesus directly to be an apostle. He he tells us in Acts chapter 9 and chapter 22. He tells us also in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's story is exclusively Paul's story. The canon is closed. There's no more Bible to be written. There'll be no more apostles who say, thus saith the Lord on their own authority. That's done. But God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. Something was happening internally. John Stott called it an inner illumination of the soul. God shining into his heart to give, as 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Has that inner revelation taken place for you? Such that you see not just the truth about Jesus, but the glory, the beauty. None of us sees that completely. But whether we're 9 or 19 or 29, 39, 49, 59, all the way up, is there this ever-increasing growth in knowledge of the beauty of the gospel in the face that is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ? What kind of story best legitimizes the gospel? First, a story that involves a change of subject, but second, and we're going to wrap this up quick, a story that involves a change in purpose. A change in purpose. I read verse 13 and 14. Paul talks about the purpose, why he was living to advance Judaism, to uh, destroy the church. But then there's a change in purpose. Look again at the, at the end of verse 16. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, let's just give me you know quick background on Paul. Remember, I already mentioned he planted these churches on his first missionary journey. He would go on two more missionary journeys. He would, he would plant churches. He would encourage Christians in churches that had already been established wherever he went. However, remember a couple things about Paul. Remember that he had some affliction. 
that he prayed that God would take away because he felt like it would be a hindrance to God's work in his life. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And remember also that Paul spent a lot of time in jail, under house arrest, not able to go to the places that he wanted to be able to go. And yet Paul saw, Paul saw no lack of purpose in his life. He saw it all as from the Lord, as the arena in which he was called to serve the Lord, to proclaim Christ, that Jesus might be glorified. So what's your arena? Don't think that, man, if I'm really going to live for God's glory, I've got I've to leave my present vocation. I need to go into full-time vocational ministry, or I need to be a, a missionary like Jody Collins, who we're going to hear from him in a bit. God may be calling you to that, but do recognize that where you are right now, provided you're not in a, in a job that is sinful, where you are right now, that's your arena for ministry. That's your mission field. Your workplace, your home, the students and the classes that you're with right now, that's the arena in which God has called you, sovereignly placed you to proclaim Jesus. Has there been a change in, a shift in purpose for you? Are you always living as though the work you're going to do for Jesus is somewhere down the road? when things are less stressful at work, or you have a higher position of authority at work, or, or you know, maybe you're, I'm getting a D in this class, I can't really say a whole lot because people are, you know, the teacher already knows I'm sorry, you know, whatever it is, like, are, are you willing to say, you know what, or I'm not a, I'm not a great, you know, parent, I, I really get frustrated with my kids all the time. Are you saying, you know, it's not until I get my junk figured out that I can really begin to bear testimony to who Jesus is and proclaim, No. Our weakness is manifold. It might be physical. It might be intellectual. It's certainly spiritual. We're weak. God's grace is strong. It's sufficient. Has there been a shift in purpose so that you're living now for him? Paul had that. And, and what was at the heart of Paul was not, I'm going to make the most of every single minute of my life because when it ends, it ends. Paul was living for that great day when Jesus Christ would return. He knew that no matter what happened to him on earth, no matter what hardships and struggles he faced, read Paul's letters and read about the ways in which he talks about the afflictions that he's under, but then hear him also talking about that great and glorious day when Jesus Christ returns. Our purpose is to be found faithful on that day. It's not to acquire wealth. It's not to acquire fame. It's not to, to even necessarily have a legacy because guess what? Your great-grandkids will not have a clue. Maybe great-great. Great-great-grandkids, they won't have a clue who you are. Sometimes you wonder if your own kids have a clue who you are. Really? I mean, but listen, that's the point, isn't it? It's not about us. There's been a change in subject. There's been a shift in purpose. Those two elements were present in Paul's story. For every Christian, they must be there as well. And as they are, by God's grace, people will say of us what they said of Paul at the end of this passage, they glorified God because of me. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you again for this great passage and for the truths that are contained in it. We pray that you would help us to take them to heart. We need your help. We need your spirit to be at work in us. And so we ask that you would do this, that our lives might bear testimony to the legitimacy of the gospel that we hold on to. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.